I just have to acknowledge that like I can do the safer thing that gets me nowhere mm -hmm. or I can do the scarier thing that's gonna suck and feel bad but it's gonna get me a little closer to where I need to go. Today's guest is Rob Roseman, who's had a variety of careers. He's a former Chicago futures trader, as well as a former Las Vegas poker pro. He was a contestant on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? He's co-founder of Kickstart Reading, where they help children learn to read with short videos. He's an author of Dad, The Best I Can, which is five-star rated on Amazon, and also has a podcast by the same name. The book is a compilation of dad wisdom he got from his podcast guests. Rob got divorced in 2020 at the beginning of the pandemic and wanted to provide a relatable divorce support group, especially for men, because he struggled with finding his own identity. So he founded and is also podcast host of WTF Divorce, where he provides a supportive, and judgment-free zone for people who are going through divorce with the help of professionals to navigate their new lives. Welcome to the MeBet, Rob. Thank you, Erica. I'm excited to be here. When you tell my bio like that, I really feel like I've had quite a life. <laughs> well, you have. You've had a variety of life experiences. How did that start? Um, like most things, like me not knowing what I wanted to do or what to do at a college, I was like, I guess I'll take the LSATs because that's what people do. Guess I'll go to law school. I had no interest in it and yeah. uh, took my LSATs and I was like, I really don't want to do this. So ah. I, I had some interest in like gambling and strategy and my neighbor randomly in Florida was a trader and said, oh, you should go to New York or Chicago. And um, I ended up almost going to New York, but didn't get the job, which like funny how that I think it was at the World Trade Center, too, where I interviewed. Oh, wow. so it was like, I was pretty upset about it because I thought uh -huh. this is what we're supposed to do and didn't get it. And then he's like, you should go to Chicago anyways, because that is where more of like this pure trading is. People don't really know that. Right. Um, so, yeah, I went to Chicago. I was essentially like a pledge uh, at a fraternity on the floor of the Mercantile Exchange and was literally thrown into the fire, had no idea what I was doing, didn't think I would make it yeah. a couple of weeks, but um, yeah, ended up just like doing my job pretty well and then got mm -hmm. an opportunity, like a lot of times after a year, uh, the traders would say, you know, at the time trading was really big, do you want to trade for me? And they would back uh, their young traders. So it would be like, mm -hmm. I wouldn't get a salary, but get, you know, eat what you kill. I got 50% of what I made and that turned into a seven-year career in Chicago. Oh, wow. Okay. And then, so where did the poker playing come into play? How did that come about? Yeah, so I, I'd always played like high school with my buddies. Instead of like partying and hanging out with girls, we would play poker and uh, did that in Chicago and did a little bit online, but basically towards the end of my trading career, when it started to get... I'm pretty good at like knowing when I have an edge and then also knowing when that edge is not there anymore. And okay. I'm just gambling. Yeah. And I had in Chicago qualified online back when online poker was really big on party poker mm -hmm. for the World Series of Poker. Uh, flew out there once in 05 and busted like within eight hours and was like, 
tail between my legs, went home. Uh, the next year, though, I'd qualified again and told my backer at the time, hey, I'm going out to Vegas. I'm not, you know, I need a week off. He's like, fine. And on that week, I ended up like entering the biggest tournament at the time ever and lasting like nine days, which uh, wow resulted in uh, 23rd place, which doesn't sound crazy until you know there's uh, about 8,700 people in the tournament and that paid out just under $500,000. So I was like, I had just broke up with a girlfriend at the time. I had just like was trying to figure out what to do with my life. And I said, I was 29, thought maybe I should just go give this a shot. I'm doing well at it and I enjoy it. So mm -hmm. I sold my condo. I drove in my Infinity sports car out to Vegas yeah. and thought it would be like a year experiment. And then mm -hmm. I'd come back to Florida or whatever and ended up, you know, doing pretty well, like my first year. And mm -hmm. then met what turned out to be my wife there. We ended up getting married, had three kids. I was playing poker four nights a week at the Bellagio, the win and like poker was making money. You know, it's, it's interesting with poker is like, I would leave the casino usually like 40% of the time losing, but overall mm -hmm. that added up to enough that like, it was a pretty sweet career and uh, did that for, I can't believe it, 11 years until I oh was a little burned out on it at the end, but it was yeah. like really great. It actually had a good work-life balance. I was able to come okay. and go bonded. Um, but yeah, it was an, quite an interesting, like second chapter of my adult life. That's incredible. 11 years. That's quite a long time. Now, would you consider working as a trader in Chicago as your first me bet or going out to Las Vegas as your first me bet? Yeah. I mean, definitely. I don't think you know any of this at the time when you're doing yeah. it. You think like, wow, that person take chances and they knew what they were doing. Yeah. It is like, you don't know what the hell you're doing. You're probably <laughs> going to fall in your face. A lot of it's like, what else am I supposed to do? Yeah. So yeah. you put yourself in there and it's mm -hmm. like, can you weather it. So yes, the, the Chicago, as it turned out to be, was a, a, a me bet. And then the Vegas poker playing was definitely a me yeah. bet. And it's like, I kind of like to figure stuff out and I know yeah. it's going to be painful in the beginning, but I had a knack for it. I, it had a good, just like, again, work-life balance, surprisingly, it was fun. Yeah. And a lot of times, look, like being unqualified for a lot of things, I didn't have, even when I left trading, my resume was like trader on the floor. Banks, the jobs I was looking for were like not really hiring me. So that was kind of, uh, intimidating and daunting in some ways like I cannot even get a crappy job I'm 29 years old <laughs> but as it turns out like not being qualified and not having you know I think even leaving a good job is a lot harder than when you don't really have a option mm. so you're kind of like well what do I got to lose so that was uh you know wow. the, the 18 years of my life were kind of both those situations that's a really interesting perspective that that really is You've reinvented yourself several times. Like as I was reading through your bio, I was like, wow, look at all of these vast experiences. Has that gotten easier as as you've gone along? Like uh, it's gotten harder probably as I get older because you have more at stake, more to lose, more mm -hmm. people that I'm responsible for. You know, moving to Vegas was like, all right, got in my car. Yeah. Happens, nobody knows. Um it is always hard. I think that's like that's something else people think is like, oh, they're just going to make it happen. It's like, 
you just know that it's probably not going to work. And then you go in with like this open-minded, like I'm just going to mm -hmm. try. Mm -hmm. And then if you can stay in the game long enough, you're going to know, maybe actually don't even like doing it, but um, just having that, like, it's a weird, it sounds very cynical and like, uh, oh, you're not so confident, but in reality, it's like, I kind of need that as like a baseline, like trading, like this could blow up versus yeah. I think a lot of people are like, I'm going to make a million dollars. And 99 out of 100 times, those are the people that end up failing. So mm. for me, I like to almost just like have this low expectation. And then, you know, I'm competitive, especially with myself that like, I do want to figure it out. So I'll like grind on these things until uh, I unlock something. And, you know, the past few times that's worked out. But every time that you go do a new thing, you're starting from scratch again in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's not it's um, I talked to a friend about this, like he's an incredible entrepreneur. He doesn't know what he's doing right now. And they're always like, Devin, you'll figure it out. You always figure out everything. And he's like, screw you. He's like, I don't know what I'm, it's like kind of dismissive because yeah. reality, that person is like, I don't know if I'll ever figure it out again. Yeah. Uh, internal, it might end up working out. And then like hindsight bias, he'll say, see, you, you figured it out, but you don't know that when you're, when you're doing these things. Yeah. I, um, you know, as you were, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about the first thing that you said a few minutes ago was that, you know, what your superpower is in the sense of, you know, where your edge is and when you're kind of losing it, right? Like when it's no longer there, that's very self-aware. So does it probably open you up to more opportunities to be like, oh, you know, maybe I can try something else. Yeah, well, one thing trading and specifically poker tells you is like you're going to make the right move. You have very incomplete information in poker and in trading. Like uh, I cannot see your cards, so I have to right. make a guess. And it would actually be wrong for me to like think that I could guess your exact cards. So it's more of like, was my decision correct? And mm -hmm. it still stings when you watch somebody take all your money because you made the right move and they either yeah. got lucky or they just had a better hand than you thought. It's like, I think people think in terms of like very black or white things, mm -hmm. reality, like everything is on a spectrum, a range. You're like, I'm not a hundred percent confident this is going to work, but I'm like, if I'm 60% confident, that's a bet that I probably should take that understandably, a lot of people don't want to take mm -hmm. to be 90%, but yeah. those bets don't exist. And those bets, if they do exist, they offer a 1% return on your money kind of thing, like evaluating uh, risk reward and what you said too. Uh, this combination, I think I, I am good at of like humility, self-awareness are very uh, natural for me. And that can be a detriment in some ways, but like when you mix that with confidence and ability to take risks, that is like a recipe for good things might happen because you're not going to get too far ahead of yourself. I think a lot of people are overconfident and they think everything's going to work mm -hmm. they usually fail. And then the people that are too self-aware, too are, are afraid to take risks, they won't get anywhere either. So like finding some- yeah, uh, The middle and, ground, yeah. Yeah, where you're like always checking yourself, you're always getting humbled too. That's the other thing, trading and poker. You're just every day you're gonna be losing and that is yeah. like sucks, but that is the skill that you actually need in life, I think to be, have any chance of success. Yeah, when I lived in Los Angeles, I had uh, a couple of neighbors who were actors and the thick skin and resiliency that they had was incredible. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. you know, and to go into an audition and someone critique you on your looks, your age, you know, and even though you think, oh, okay, I read the lines perfectly, I delivered it the way they wanted or whatever. And then for a, a, a whole group of people say, oh, yeah, that's not going to work, whatever. I just have so much admiration for people like that, because it's like, wow, because I can be demoralizing, but they kept on going. And I, and I know some actors who hung in there to this very day, been in the business for years and get regular work. So yeah, that's, that, that's definitely important, especially when you're trying out something new. Cause like you said, you know, you just never, you just never know what's going to happen. And you almost have to be kind of delusional in some ways because yes. you would, because you're also, look, I know, I understand statistics and risk. Like these things are statistically going to fail. Anything you start is probably going to fail. So how do you get your brain to be like, I'm going to go into relationships or like this too. Everything is like this on some level. So you have to have a little delusion and you also have to know, um, I think Tim Ferriss always said this stuck with me. It's like, if I fail, how can I still win? But it would mm -hmm. be like, oh, I learned this skill, but I fell on my face. Oh, I got a story for my life. Yeah. Oh, I was in this relationship. I learned this about this. So like the, it, it will still sting. Like mm -hmm. you realize that well, I think a lot of people are like, oh, you, you went to Vegas. How'd that work out? You, you lost everything. And they actually are not thinking that we, mm -hmm. we project that they're thinking that yeah. but that you're still taking stuff from you, you're going to learn more in losing than in winning is the other thing like mm -hmm. in life and games and everything it's like it's kind of a it sucks that it's like that but yeah you know, when my kid strikes out and or like has to walk off the field as, I'm like it's probably a more valuable experience than you know everything went well they won the championship I'm like that's that's not how life goes a lot of times and right. building that resiliency is one of the strongest skills anybody can have. Yeah, I, I completely agree. So what did your family think when you said, Hey guys, I'm going to be a professional poker player. <laughs> um, I think they are a little taken aback, but like they had, it did help that like I had this big score that uh, yeah. they were excited about and you know, they've always, they knew I kind of have done things like, in an unorthodox way and yeah, you know okay. to their credit they did i'm sure they felt a little embarrassed when they told their friends yeah he lives in vegas he's a professional poker player a little bit of pride because it's cool but yeah probably not when all their friends or kids are lawyers and doctors um but yeah to their credit they were they didn't really understand it and that, mm -hmm. that could be a disconnect but they were supportive and i guess if they were not and i that would have been a lot harder for me or easier for me to just go down this safer path yeah 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 you bring up a really good point which is they didn't understand what you were doing but they were still supportive which I think is so important because many people can be like I don't understand it so I'm just going to dismiss it because it's not familiar to me and 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 in that case not be supportive of you Whereas they said, okay, we're not quite sure what you're doing. We see you're making some money. We see, you know, you're living out in Vegas or whatever, but we're still going to support you because we trust your good judgment, you know, and that you're going to do well and and all of that, right? Yeah. And look, if, if you if you fail badly, like, did you die? Like, what is the worst that can happen? It's like right. a lot of ways, again, easier said than done, but like not taking the chance is is in a lot of ways worse than, you know, taking it and failing. Yeah. 
but yeah, I think also what you said there, I think about a ton is like what we don't understand something or we feel challenged or intimidated or it goes against our beliefs, we dismiss it. And like, that's just like our way of protecting ourselves. Like, I don't get it. It probably doesn't work. A whole other conversa conversation, but I've, I learned this the hard way with uh, my interest in Bitcoin, ah. which is like just this thing of like when people do not understand something, which was me for years, <laughs> we're just like find ways to kind of push it away mm -hmm. because our brains do not like that uncertainty. They don't, we don't like feeling dumb. We don't like feeling wrong. Yeah. So I think like accepting that that is just like a, a, a cognitive bias that we all have. Like, and I, I'm obsessed with all those, uh, was that book thinking fast and slow Danny Kahneman he talks about like we have a sunk cost bias whereas if we've been invested in something for yes. a long time we should stick with it we have and he's like these guys are scientists and they're like we all suffer from these so knowing where our blind spots are still mm -hmm. doing that you don't like get rid of it right but right. understanding that like huh why am I completely dismissing this thing it's probably because it makes me uncomfortable because mm -hmm. I lost money in it and uh, I think that is a way to like humble yourself too, is to like, you just don't know what you're talking about in a lot of ways. And I think like being able to accept that's usually happening mm -hmm. you know, under the radar is a good lens to like look through when you're trying to figure out what to do. You mentioned embracing uncertainty. And would you probably say that's like one of the top three things you need whenever you're deciding on betting on yourself, whether it's going full right, full route entrepreneurship, or whether you're just starting a side hustle, or you're doing something small, like what was, I mean, like, I think for me, I, I think that's huge, you know, is to embrace uncertainty. Yeah. And I mean, even embrace when you say it like that, like kind of makes it sound like I like it. This is like fun. <laughs> right. Get comfortable with it. it. Right. Get comfortable. You're not going to be comfortable, but just get comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. Right? I think like we have this impression that, oh, I could never do that. Like, like I've gone up and did a open mic stand up comedy before as like a, I was a bet with a friend actually. And uh -huh. like I was leaving Vegas and we had this bet going and I was like, oh crap, we've got to do this. And that is the most like on top three, most uncomfortable things you can do. Right. probably going to bomb. You're going to be in front of people, but um. And just because you're doing it doesn't mean like, oh, I'm comfortable with that. It's right. horrible. Your body was like going into fight or flight, but you find out after you did it, you did live. You yeah. Know? And, and that's like data that you can use when you feel that way again. You can just be like, well, I did jump off that cliff and I hated that. <laughs> you're not going to be excited about it. I think people yeah. have this wrong impression where like, I'm going to try this new business. I'm so excited about it. Like that person... Is probably less likely to succeed than the person that knows this is pr probably not going to work, but I'm going to try it anyways. Yeah. Yeah. I tell you, Rob, every time we chat, I always find some new interesting facts about you. I didn't know about the stand up comedy part. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because the first time it actually went pretty well. Uh huh. Uh, second time I did it like a year later, I bombed terribly. And that was like, that's a hard feeling. But yeah, yeah you learn like being funny. Is very different than like that's almost like a performance, which yeah. uh, I'm used to like ad libbing and winging it. And mm -hmm. uh, I learned, you know, I, that's like also another one of like creative artists that I respect more than anything are comedians because they're yeah. I talk about putting yourself out there and failing constantly in front of people. Like 
they are brave they are resilient they are i think like we could all i mean it's the people i admire the most and it's like my favorite art form because of how brave and just like uh scary it is what they're doing oh my gosh yeah i i agree i totally agree um what business challenge has taught you the most about yourself is there one um yeah, I mean, I, I, when I started up uh, business with my sister, Kickstart Reading, like <laughs> I knew social media is an important thing. And I just have somehow got through my life without using any of it. And I like, don't really like putting myself out there so much. I always felt like it was like, look at me, like kind of vain and nobody really cares. And um, I guess I learn that it is kind of important today to do that or mandatory in a lot of ways mm -hmm. and that like this feeling that oh I'm so embarrassed to publish this or oh this is like I'm gonna get laughed at or this is so dumb it's actually a trick in your in your mind to get you from doing something it's there's a great book by uh Stephen Pressfield called the uh what is it the War of Art. I'm again. I'm confused. That the Art of War. No, it's a War of Art. The War of Art. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. He talks about resistance. He's like everything in your head that gets you to stop doing something is is like designed to keep you from doing it. So, I think just getting better at accepting, like, oh, I'm gonna just hit publish. This thing has misspellings, and uh, it builds also like this kind of resilience that is a lesson I've learned. Like, when in doubt, you just gotta like put it out there and keep moving. Versus like keeping it in is yeah. doesn't uh the benefits of that the costs of that just outweigh the benefits that's usually the way I think about things I'm like yeah. this is kind of stupid but at least I can then get on to the next thing I can get over it yeah I have to say you are the king of execution you will come up with an idea and the next time I talk to you, you'll have a landing page. You'll have something together where you've actually already executed. Like, I am just so inspired by that because as someone who I suffer from perfectionism, wanting things to be a certain way or thinking it should look a certain way before it's put out there in the world, like I'm always like a big cheerleader of yours and always like just so amazed by how quick, how quickly you execute and put things out there. That's, that's really incredible. I appreciate your, your support. Cause it is also very isolating when you do these kind of things, nobody sees it. I mean, mm -hmm. I credit a good percentage of that to Neville and the copywriting course, because, you know, he says, what's his line? Uh, nobody cares about you. They only care about themselves, yep. which sounds cynical. Even when I tell people, they're like, ooh, I'm like, well, it's also reality. And it's it also is. liberating because, uh, so yeah, you just like, what you learn is like what you think is good. Mm -hmm. As long as you're making stuff for, to serve an audience or like, which just should be the goal of everything. Like this isn't Absolutely. writing a diary. It's like, I want to help people. Um, you don't know anything until it's out there. And mm -hmm. like what I found over time is like even perfecting the website and the landing page before I published it, there's still some kind of safety there that like, I almost would be like, and my, I, I learned this a lot with my sister who I work with and she is more of a perfectionist and like, I cannot put that out there and say it. Yeah. And I learned that like, that just kept us in this wheel spinning thing. Whereas yeah. like literally put out your landing page and like intentionally type, uh, the wrong letter like misspell the word 
you know what that's going to do? Like right when that thing goes live, first of all, nobody's going to see it. But in your head, you're like, this is live on the internet. Yeah. That's going to get you to go in there and change it. Whereas the alternative of like just tweaking stuff just like keeps you in a safer feeling where yeah. just nothing gets done. So it's like, you know, it does feel better. But what I learned is like, it doesn't get me anywhere. So now I just have to acknowledge that like, I can do the safer thing that gets me nowhere yeah. or I can do the scarier thing that's going to suck and feel bad, but it's going to get me a little closer to where I need to go. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Easier said than done, Erica. Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's easy to talk about these things. It's much harder to do it yourself. And I struggle with that still every day, but I just but, know. But you've had some really good experiences with that, that in the sense that you, you put things out there, whether they succeeded or didn't succeed. Yeah. I remember when, we, when you were starting uh, dad the best I can with your book and your podcast and then I remember when you first started WTF divorce like you had an idea the next thing I knew you had a landing page then the next thing I knew you had all of these other elements and then it's like oh now you have a podcast you know so you were willing to put those things out there and being vulnerable in a way that says you know like okay it'll it'll be out there it'll work or it won't work I'm, I'm still going to do it anyway yeah. Oh, and I appreciate that. It is it is vulnerable on some level, but it's also just like more effective. And I think the other piece you get is knowing most of the stuff you're going to do is will not work. It's better to see that. I put out this uh, post. I'm like, I was so excited about it. I got three likes. Well, now I don't have to think about it anymore. You yeah. know, it's like it's let's done. <laughs> the box. I, I followed uh, Jesse Itzler. He's a big kind of mentor of mine, and he's. Mm -hmm the king of doing insane stuff and just yeah. like check the box and move on. He's all about like, if you get it done, you can go to the next thing. Whereas like it just, if we leave stuff pinging around in our brain with ideas, I'd probably take it to the extreme where I probably should dig into stuff a little longer. It might be some ADD or something. <laughs> that play. But yeah. like, I just know that eh, I tried that. It didn't work is is more valuable than like, I've got this great idea and, and nobody ends up caring about it. And that's like six months later. It's like yeah. just, I wish I just knew that right away. Yeah. Yeah. What are you most proud of? Uh, I mean, as a dad, I think like I get to model this kind of behavior for my kids and be like pretty true to what I, how I want them to, you know, how I'd like to see them live their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, mm -hmm. And it's interesting, like my first 18 years of career post-college was like, my goal was really just make money. It wasn't to serve anybody. I was pretty good at that. Mm -hmm. And uh, it always kind of rubbed me the wrong way because it's not who I am as a person. It was just like fun and you need money. Yeah. Um, and now I've switched, especially since getting divorced to like uh, doing something that is fulfilling and I know it's helping people. And the irony is like, it wasn't, it's not making much money. So it's like trying to reconcile those two things is hard, but like, I do feel good that I'm, you know, like I like helping people get mm -hmm. through tough situations, making them feel seen and heard and, you mm -hmm. know, taking that sacrificing income in a lot of ways has been mm -hmm. like the only way for me to unlock that. Mm -hmm. That even though you sacrifice income, it seems also like you gain some other freedoms in exchange for it because you are able to 
essentially live life on your own terms as opposed to being boxed into a particular schedule. So you are there for your children and you can do all these other things, right? Yeah, it's totally like on paper sounds great. I think and as a as a male and as a dad and as a husband at the time, like that pressure to make money, especially when that's what you've done though, can outweigh all of it. So it's yes. like everybody says like uh you know just leave your mark on the world money isn't everything most of those people have money you know so they're coming from a place or they live a very different lifestyle so that's something that i i still struggle with uh, in a lot of ways like you shouldn't do things just to make money but you also need to make it so yes. how can you blend the two and that was actually another big kind of uh breakthrough that i had or at least i'm experimenting with as to like why is this expectation that your job should be to fulfill you, mm -hmm. to make you money to pay your bills, to maybe build your wealth or, you know, give you long-term thing. Like, why are we put all of those things into one thing when in reality, right. it's like, maybe I could deliver pizzas, but also build, you know, this platform. Or maybe it's like, I could invest in something that could work long-term, but in the mm -hmm. meantime, I'm just trying to like scrape by and pay the bills. So yeah, yeah that's something new. I've, I've, I'm experimenting with is like, don't put, I took a job after I got divorced and it was like, it was fine, but I wasn't thank probably thankfully wasn't making much money from it. It took all my time during the day. I think it's like a lot of people are like, Oh, just start your side business, you know, after work. And I'm like, that's easier said than done. But point being, I was like, I cannot make this job, uh, fulfill me. I wasn't doing that paying my bills. It was not even really doing that. And it certainly wasn't like setting me up for a long-term financial success. So right. I was like, why don't I, what do I know about that? Why don't I kind of disassemble that? Especially fortunately, because I've never had that in my life. I think a lot of people, you get a hundred K a year job by the time you're 25, it's a lot harder to like, say, I'm going to try a me bet. I'm going to try and give that up. Yeah. I never had that. I was like, I don't even know any difference. So that's another, uh, benefit of, of doing your own things it's a lot harder to leave something than it is to just try something new yeah yeah so what does success feel like to you you know a lot of people when they say success they think of the tangible things right like what it looks like but what does that feel like to you yeah I mean right now I do I have created this kind of like interesting feedback loop where I'm getting people daily it's hard because you don't want to rely on external validation, but especially as a solopreneur, it can be very isolating where you're like, can somebody give me something? Another reason I'm in copywriting course, just for like that. Right. You know, but yeah, I think right now it's definitely been people literally direct messaging me. Thank you so much. This is what I'm going through. This really helped me. Mm -hmm. It makes me feel like what I'm doing is mm -hmm. worthwhile. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that, that is definitely like carrying me through this time as I'm trying to figure out the important, you know, the reality is too, is like, you, you can't keep doing something if you can't make enough money, whether it's from that thing or something else. So right. trying to like be responsible, be creative in a different way, mm -hmm. uh, while also helping people has been like, that's my new goal over the past year. Okay. Okay. Do you do anything to prevent burnout? And if so, what? Um, I'm not good at this. I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> this is the other uh, 
real beast of like social media and marketing today. I guess it was always like this, but like, there's always more you can be doing. Um, I'm on Instagram a lot, looking at other content, sharing it. And I like, I don't know how people can do this. Like it's so good. They're so prolific, consistent. Yeah. So I, I'm struggling with that fact because you also don't really turn off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I do try to, you know, at nine o'clock or whatever, say I'm going to like, at least for an hour, turn off that part of my brain. But it's a, it's a very hard thing as an entrepreneur, especially when you're building. Like I would be mm-hmm. like, like even my parents or whoever would say like, why don't you go just relax and watch a show? And I'd be like, because my business is not like booming. It's not making enough money. Like, how can I not? I think that's something a lot of people struggle with. It's like, yeah, if like most people that you talk to, they have a job, they come home, they're going to relax. How do you do that when you're, you're not making enough money, you know, you have a lot more work to do. That's Mm -hmm. a hard thing that I struggle with because I feel this like, obligation to like well if i'm gonna get this thing to work i gotta get to work and it doesn't really lend lend itself to whether it's balance or downtime but also you know you need sleep you need downtime or else you can't function so it's like constantly not doing a great job of that with the sleep and things but trying to like uh remind myself that it is important yeah yeah it, it is um I know from my own experience, um, I have, I got caught up in the hustle culture and I was an entrepreneur at the time. Um, and it was always working, always working, always working. And the burnout is real. Like you can really feel it. Right. And then that's just one aspect of your life, which is the work, the career, you know, we haven't even talked about other life events and things like that. Um, I know personally I've found that like some sort of artwork, either drawing or painting has been helpful. I tried the meditation thing, didn't work. (laughs) So like artwork and drawing and painting are are my form of meditation, if you will. Um, But yeah, yeah, I think that's what you should, what you should consider by the end of the year or the end of this first half of the year is like, okay, we got to help you find a way to, to, to unwind, even as you're still in the grind. Right. Because that never lets up. I mean, it's not like you can clone yourself and have three Robs and say, okay, they all have the same amount of dedication and the same skill set, and they can all get it done the way you want it done. Right. Um, but yeah, we still gotta, we still gotta, we're going to come up with a way for you to, to to burn out. And then it sounds like excuses, but I'm like, there are three raw. I got three kids running around too. Yeah. So it's like, how do I give to them? So a lot of time that is not, it is downtime in some ways, but it's again, being like on. So yeah. I, I also, right. I don't, I'm not around a lot of people that have three young kids that are divorced, that are trying to start their own thing. And that can be like, you don't really have a good sounding board of people to tell you when, you know, you're, you're veering too far off, but but yeah, these conversations help. And I know like investing a little time in downtime, while it always feels like kind of wasteful or you're, you are ignoring your business, it's almost always still worth the investment. Like you're not yeah. that lazy that you're actually gonna. Yeah, you got to recharge. You know, you have to do something so, where you got to recharge. No, I do. Like you say, meditation, like I, my wife at the time, we both 
kind of gave ourselves a present of uh tm transcendental meditation the course which is kind of laughably like a thousand dollars a pop uh to do it it's the one that seinfeld and all the famous people do okay. and a lot of the reason to pay is to like force you to have skin in the game to do it and mm -hmm. no joke for the past whatever five years i will do i call it meditation i'm really just sitting in a dark place with the my phone off is the real thing. Yeah. But 20 minutes. I'm doing it these days, like three times a day, probably when I have my kids, especially it's like, oh. daddy's going in the closet. I'm going to lose my mind. Right. It's like, there is self-care in my toolbox. Good, 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 good. Some people would say you meditate three times a day. I'm like, that is the only way to keep me from completely boiling over. So, yeah. so yes, eight hours sleep would probably be a good addition, but at least having like having tools that you can use is very yeah. important. And for me, that's, that's the big, biggest one I've found. Oh, good. So you do have something that's good. So you did find something that works for you. Um, what advice would you give to someone who wanted to bet on themselves, but is too afraid or doesn't know where to start? Hmm. I mean, I think it would be start small and put it out there, like ship it. Don't just do it in your head so that mm -hmm. it could be it's a good thing about like social media. It can be very disposable. It can be like a story that disappears in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. uh, to put something out there and realize like, yeah, that didn't like sting as bad as I thought. But yeah, I think the one thing that if I could go back in time, it would be to, as Seth Godin says, you got to ship it. You have to, if you don't publish it, it's not really, it can be, you know, your art is just for you in a lot of yeah. ways. That's a little different, but you got to like put stuff out there. And today there's really no barriers to doing that except our yeah. own ego and resistance and things like that. But it does like, it strengthens that muscle of like this kind of public failure that we're all evolutionary wired to fear. Uh, you just realize that like, eh, nobody cared. And your first thing is you almost don't want your first thing to be your good idea. So like right. just with some bad ideas, I had a website that I started called five-star podcast where it like rated the best episodes. I thought it was the greatest idea. And actually like it was the first like website I kind of created maybe uh -huh. a poker website too, but like uh, you need those, the skills that you're going to learn from your like, okay ideas mm -hmm. are going to serve you later on. So waiting for your big idea is actually like counterproductive. You almost want to like, I'm going to do a website about like, the best pizza in my town and it could be the dumbest thing but like you're going to learn the skills on there that are going to liberate you to use them when you have a bigger idea i like that yeah and you know what that's part of that king of execution thing that you got going on which is like you just execute like you just put it out there and with no expectations and be like okay i just checked it off the box and move on yeah. But I think some high income earners, such as people who work in corporate, you know, like, oh, you know, I have great benefits and have all of these things, but I'm I'm really, it's like, okay, I'm really not fulfilled, even though I, I do well with the living, you know, and they're a little afraid, like, well, I have these ideas, but I'm too afraid to execute because I might, I might not do well, or it might not, um, resonate or I'm, I'm too afraid I don't know where to start yeah. um so, that's, a yeah. real thing. that's a real thing that I can't again couldn't relate to because I didn't have much of a resume and I didn't have a but yeah I can imagine 
once you get the job paying XYZ, giving that up to go do something you're passionate about, it's probably going to, it's not going to pay you like half. It's going to pay you like, like 1%, if that, you know, even making a thousand dollars is pretty hard. So I empathize with people that are in that spot, but yeah, I would say it could start as like, uh, make it a hobby, make it like you're dedicating time to that Mm -hmm. or right. uh, Social media again, being like a good place where you could just try stuff, but yeah, I think that's a really hard thing is when you do get those kind of golden handcuffs, even if they're in your head and mm-hmm. a lot of that's like financially uh, tied into. You wouldn't do that job if they weren't paying you that much. But because right. you're, paid, you're like, I mean, I'd like to be a teacher, but I can't afford that. So that's a real thing that I don't think it's talked about enough or it's kind of dismissed. Like you got to yeah. do what you're passionate about. I'm like, well, that guy's got, you know, a family and how's it going to pull it off otherwise? So, yeah. Yeah. It is a realistic concern for sure. For sure. Rob, what is the best way that people can get in contact with you and learn more about you and support you? Well, I appreciate this. This conversation is a, it's like a therapy session. So uh, (laughs) yeah, you can find me, I'm spend most of the time on Instagram at WTF divorce. What the F divorce easy to remember. Uh, WTFdivorce.com. We have like a newsletter that we're sending out every week. Yes. But yeah, Instagram is probably the easiest. Just send me a DM, especially if you're going through something like this, or if you're just curious about being a dad or being an entrepreneur, starting a business. But uh, yeah, if you're going through divorce, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going through <laughs> it as well. So uh, I can relate at WTF Divorce. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Erica. I love Rob's down-to-earth and practical nature. Here are three takeaways. You only need to be 60% confident that something is going to work, and that's a bet you must be willing to take. Building resiliency is the strongest skill you can have. As you're going on your me-bet journey, you must ask yourself, if I fail, how can I still win? That's it for today. Join me, your host, Erica Johnson, next week on the MeBet podcast with another amazing guest.